now we have um, Tinisara, um Dharma teacher, uh, former Buddhist nun in uh, the Amaravati Sangha for 12 years, uh, teacher of uh, Dhammagiri uh, with her partner Kitty Sorrow in uh, South Africa for many years, um, led the uh, last community Dharma leader uh, training program here at Spirit Rock and uh, teaches uh, in the U.S. and internationally um, and is uh, really one of the most dedicated uh, Dharma teachers um, involved in raising awareness and caring about uh, climate change that I know. She's been a tremendous inspiration for me. She's coordinating the uh, Eco-Sattva training that uh, One Earth Sangha is putting on and has written a uh, number of books. The recent, most recent one, uh, Time to Stand Up, The Buddha's Life and Message Through Feminine Eyes, uh, an engaged Buddhist manifesto for our Earth. Um, really um, a special teacher in our community. Thank you, Thank so you Tanisara. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and. Um, Greetings, everyone. I'm, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm sorry that I missed um, so much of the day this morning. I just um, came in this afternoon earlier. Um, I was on the call with the eco training, which is an eight-module training that's being um, hosted online and is... Um, encompasses a lot of different um, countries and sanghas that are involved, as James mentioned earlier in his talk. And it's just been very encouraging to just see um, there is um, an upwelling, I think, of response, slow at first, a few pioneers out there like Joanna Macy and and others in uh, Buddhist Peace Fellowship and other movements in the Buddhist world. But more recently, I think because of everything that we've heard and that we know about, we understand we are in a sort of quantum speed evolutionary process that's challenging us on every level of our being, and we don't have a lot of time. And so this is impacting all of us, whether consciously or not, in so many ways and, and, and sort of in a way um, fast speeding us through a learning curriculum that perhaps um, is taking us to some pretty serious edges. It's taken me to some serious edges and being reshaping my inner process and, and a lot of what, where I've been putting my energy and time and efforts and it's very appropriate, really, because as, as Buddhist practitioners, one of the things that uh, Ajahn Chah, who was in many ways a seat teacher for me, who I met in Thailand and England in the 1970s and inspired me to take the robes, one of the things that he, he would say is that all of this practice that we do, um, all of this difficult practice that we do, and it is sometimes very challenging to sit on our zafus, cushions, and to look directly at uh, the heart, the mind, be with the body, be with the momentum of the karma of our lives. It's not easy to do that. But all of this uh, and challenging 
inwardly ourselves and uh, by facing suffering and dukkha for the sake of seeing into its depth and how it ge- is generated uh, through the, the lack of c- uh, clear seeing, through, through, through the avijja, ignorance of the mind. All of this is to prepare us. He says it's this preparation for the moment when the passions really hit, when something really arises in life that would actually completely overwhelm us or crash our system or activate us in our patterns and in our in less skillful ways of responding. And so in a way this is the moment I think that we've been practicing for, this time that we're in now collectively, globally, is a time that is, um, is when the karma and the momentum of the lives that we've been living is f- coming to fruition both in very difficult ways and very challenging ways as we heard and as we know and we don't have to do much research to understand um, how, at, um, how threatened our biosphere is, our ecosystems are, our ocean is, um, and the impact of a, of a, f- a vastly um, warming planet at great speed, much faster than we realized and thought we had time. We don't have time um, to the extent of enough, uh, the, the levels of heat going into our biosphere are, are the same as one Hiroshima bomb going off a second, four, actually four a second, and that was a few years ago. It's probably heightened. And we feel it, we, we, feel, we feel that, uh, and it's impacting us. And so this practice is for this moment, for this time. We've been preparing ourselves to meet in every way that we can, on every level that we can, as together as we can, to really be present and to show up for this time. Uh, and this showing up is, is very powerful. In, in, I've lived for 20 years in South Africa, worked there, um, and one uh, on the lands of the First Nation peoples of Khoisan who lived on those lands for hundreds and thousands of years um, and who obviously were the, were the area that where the origins of humankind have been found. And one of the, in their communities who were decimated as many First Nation communities have been in our march of colonialism the last 500 years or so, one of the, the things that was very important for them um, in, in their culture, in their way of understanding the universe, and a very sort of different relationship to, to both the seen worlds and the unseen worlds, to the natural worlds, the cosmological world, was that our primary duty, our primary purpose is to show up. It's just to show up as fully as we can and, and then to celebrate, <laughs> to celebrate being here together. It's a, it's a beautiful, simple activity for us as human beings, but we seem to find it very difficult to do because we feel whatever is that drives us, it comes from this very deep wound on lack of, of feeling somehow that showing up is not enough. We carry this wound that we've been ripped out of the web of life in a very profound way that has uh, that sort of keeps us hurting, keeps us in pain and keeps us driven and keeps us consuming and keeps us forever uh, seeking. So to show up as you have been, you here today, uh, it's not easy to show up for this conversation. As we see this, we haven't got 
hundreds of thousands of people here. Uh, and this is a, a Spirit Rock represents a large community. I think because it's very challenging to show up for this conversation and to really allow ourselves to feel and be with the truth, as has been said, and as Aya Santusika was saying, uh, to see clearly, to take, and as the Buddha encouraged us, to take the veils from our eyes and to really see the dynamic that we're in now. Here's a piece. Um, I wrote this um, somehow through the time of being in South Africa and really contemplate. I spent a lot of time in a culture that has a deep wound. It carries a deep wound from its history, from the colonialism and then from apartheid. And to, to be with that wound and to explore the contrast of what apartheid meant, which means to, to separate, this separative consciousness. It was in a way, it was the experiment that took separative consciousness to an extreme degree, um, which, which has happened in many other cultures, including here. Um, but to explore that and counter juxtapose that with uh, the unitive consciousness, a consciousness that is um, demonstrated and spoken about, for example, in the Heart Sutra, which says, ultimately, there is no separation that we are here in a web of life. There is the forced divisions and boundaries are projections of the mind. They are assumptions that we make that don't exist in reality. But our separative consciousness, and I think when I think about the times we're in and the challenge we're facing, it has the potential um, to awaken us at such a profound level that it actually, the curriculum in the awakening is to shift us the underlying, the underlying curriculum, in a way the, the, the practical agenda is to shift our energy from fossil fuel to renewables, to shift out of lifestyles that are endlessly consuming to sustainable. Uh, but the deepest curriculum I feel that we're being invited into is to shift out of this separative consciousness, divided consciousness that keeps us in pain, keeps us hurting, keeps us in fear-driven, keeps us... Um, acting out of violence, um, to, to move out of that consciousness into living and being and knowing and trusting and dwelling in the deepest refuge that we can of a, of a heart that is that, where there is no separation, where everything is within this one awareness. Every being is resident in our awareness. The Buddha said, when we don't understand this, then everything is burning. The mind is burning. Ideas are burning. Mind consciousness is burning. Mind contact is burning. Whatever is felt as pleasant or painful or neither painful nor pleasant, and that too is burning. Burning with what? Burning with a fire of lust with the fire of hate and with the fire of delusion. I say burning with birth, aging and death, burning with sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair. So said the Buddha. And this is my commentary. Just know the feeling in the feeling. Is it pleasant, unpleasant or neutral? Buddha. Attend with each heartbeat. Bud 
with the in-breath, do with the out-breath. Direct mindful awareness to feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. It is unpleasant. Consuming fire of outrage shoots searing sensations into our flesh core. Frozen grief at deceitful ruin aches every living cell. Weighted stones of dreaded despair pour the heart down through each vertebrae into softening tissue and oxygenated blood pumping pain. Chemical dissonance surges into brain coordination and scrambles sanity. Trauma releases into the world. The beast has no holding. It roams and scavenges the desecrated, rotting flesh of grandiose structures that peel away from our faded, fast, capitalist gods who abandon us all in the end. Here, enlightenment lands like a sick thump to the stomach. At night, we track mala beads along the wild stations of our hearts so we can know the lost islands of our soul like animals at a dry water hole. This um, opening, turning up for what is happening on our earth, this is an earth body and it feels deeply um, it feels, there's something that Rilke said, which I really love, which is, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror, but just keep going, no feeling is final. No feeling is final. And I think that my experience of awakening and undertaking and being shaped by this curriculum that we're going through is that every feeling that's happening on the earth begins to be felt in this body. Sometimes the anxiety, the fear, the overwhelm, and the, 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 the sense of, of, of um, just being stunned by the enormity of what we face. So to, to show up for that and to authentically to feel that is actually part of our curriculum, but it's not, it's not the only aspect of our curriculum because as the Buddha said, the first thing that we do is to actually acknowledge dukkha, to acknowledge suffering, because we know that this mind ultimately, this consciousness, is this depth of wisdom within that's at the seat and at the heart of our mind, our conscious, pure heart, is able to work to transform suffering, whatever shape or whatever form it comes in, in even if it is the challenge of a, a planet that's potentially a, a, a biosphere that will take us perhaps into the death throes of our lifestyles in the way that we've known them. How do we do this? Rilke always also said that everything that is hurting, everything that is suffering, everything that comes to us that is difficult, that is painful, everything that is terrible is something that needs our love. So as we show up, as we stand, as we open ourselves to what's happening, as we willingly enter the curriculum of transformation that, that we're going through as a consciousness, that this crisis that we're in that is initiating 
and changing our lives. It means that everything that we've known before, how we've been before, is asking us to respond, is asking us to be with, not love as an object, not to say, I love you as something outside of myself, but to love in, the t in understanding that everything is intimate within this awareness. Everything is resident within this awareness. There's nothing outside, actually, of this awareness. I, I saw a quote today, as one does on Facebook, and it was a questioner. Someone came to Ramana Maharshi and said, how should I treat others? And he said, there are no others. There are no others. This, this world isn't another. This is us. This is our mind projected onto this planet. This is us, is what we're looking at. We're looking in the mirror of where we've gotten to as a species. And we're being, you know, there's great compassion in this actually, because underneath the trauma and even the possibility that we might not make the shifts that we need to, because we have such little time, there's still the invitation, there's still something benevolent underneath it all that is asking us, pleading with us, to open our heart and to take the journey so that we can learn this deeper love that doesn't separate out, that doesn't move into this, what is um, called, what was called. I've been one of the parts of this journey that has been present for me and for many of us is to look at the systems that we're living within, particularly the economic systems, which relates to the history of colonialism and how wealth has been gained, how it's been gained through plunder, through slavery, through the decimation of First Nation peoples, through the, the, the extreme extractions from the earth, and how this has re is related to issues to do with social justice, to do with racial justice. It's a very profound journey because implied in our awakening is everything is up for question. Everything has to be looked at through a new gaze. And one of these um, places that I found myself exploring was reading a lot of books about slavery. Um, partly because I come from a colonial country, uh, being Britain, um, being one of the worst slavers. <laughs> um, partly because I've lived in, in, in South Africa and I've also spent many years in America uh, over 20 years in Tennessee as well, partly because I've been in these sort of frontier countries uh, where, which are built on this inheritance. And one of these, in reading one of these books called Sacred Hung Hunger, which is a novel, was, I think it was a Pulitzer Prize winning novel, there's this place, this moment where this, in the 1700s, where a father is training his son into uh, and in, in, in initiating him into the trade of slaving, which went on for four, five hundred years um, and was an extreme, extreme um, act of incredible aggression upon uh, the African continent and peoples, and particularly peoples of color. And he talks about how it's terrible to take your mind to the reality of what it is. But we have these abstractions, we have our charts, we have our of our progressions and our profits to think about, and that removes us from the terror and the horror of how we live. And he called it the violence of, uh, the, the author called this process the violence of abstraction. 
that there is when we put things outside of ourselves, there is a violence in that. When we don't understand, for example, when we use our Apple computers and our iPhones, when we um, don't connect that to the you know, conflict minerals in the Congo or to China and Foxong and what's happening to hundreds and thousands of migrant people coming from the countryside to find work, who ironically around that building, those buildings, that city, huge city, where a lot of our products that I use as well, we all use, they have netting to stop people throwing themselves out of these buildings in the same way that the slaving uh, ships had netting. It's just a different form. This is a poem. A screw that fell to the ground in this dark night of overtime, plunging vertically, lightly, lightly clinking. It won't attract anyone's attention. Just like last time on a night like this, when someone plunged to the ground. So to show up, to show up for it all, to realize that it's not to activate guilt or judgment, uh, but to show up, to feel, to be willing to connect the dots and to realize that we live in an intimate world now that's happening within our awareness. And we don't know what it means, actually, perhaps. We don't know what it means to open our heart to that and to begin to realize that everything we're doing has implications, everything that we're using has an impact, everything that we're thinking, because it's all consciousness, it's all awareness, it's all happening, it's all happening interrelated with everything else. But what I have a lot of faith and confidence in is that as we show up and listen and move into our heart, our deepest heart, we start to connect with a different kind of intelligence. A different intelligence from the strategies that we've operated from for so many centuries, for so long, which is about fear or gaining or holding on or grasping. You know, just now there are hundreds and thousands of refugees pouring into Greece and from Turkey and from Syria, partly to do with the war, partly activated through the climate change when Syria lost 60% of its fertile land and the peasants marched on the city. And now in, in Europe, I have a friend down there in Greece, Qigong teacher, wonderful man. He wrote me this uh, email to say, it's just unbelievable. My mother, who I rang up in Europe, she said, it's biblical. She said, there's nothing. She went through the Second World War in London, was in the Blitz. She said, I've never seen anything like it. Now, this is the times we're in, they're biblical in a certain way. <laughs> and it's not just Greece, it's not just over there, it's going to be more and more here. We have a drought in California, you know, it's just, it's here, it's arrived, changes have arrived, we have to show up, we have to be present, we have to allow ourselves to feel and to trust that this heart, this deepest heart, this consciousness, as said in the Shurangama Sutra, we think this mind is outside of the body, or maybe we think the mind is in the body, or maybe we think the mind is at the sense doors. But in the Shurangama Sutra, it's a Chinese sutra, it says, actually, in this mind is the body. In, the mind, in this mind is all bodies. In this mind are all beings. In this mind is the earth itself. In this mind is the cosmos. 
and this mind at its most profound level that we connect with here and now, in a moment of mindfulness, in a moment of presence, this is the pure conscious awareness knowing is connected with a depth of intelligence that will guide us. It will arise as we show up more and more fully and allow ourselves to be empty from our strategies, empty from our fear, be willing to feel what's present. It will guide us. Something will move us. We'll know how to move. We'll know how to respond. We'll feel our connection. And it may be simple, small steps. It may be a complete radical review of everything. So I'd like to finish with a, with a reading. Because I wrote this book, I was un- invited to write this book by Andrew Harvey, who's a dear friend and, and like a sort of wandering Shiva-type figure. He just sort of, he's very catalytic. He comes in and he, he moves and just shifts everything and then he moves off and the pieces are everywhere and you try and pick them up. But one of the things Andrew has, has said, and, and I think it's something for us to consider, he said, if you want to know what to do, what wakes you up in the night? What breaks your heart in the night? And then in the morning, get up and do one thing about that which breaks your heart. For me, what breaks my heart is what's happening to the animals. You know, whether it's just the game park up from near where, we, near where we live with eight rhinos just shot the other day, whether it's the industrial factory farming of animals, which is horrific, uh, whether it's the loss of species, it's the innocent, it's those that, that aren't, they, they didn't do anything, you know, that are caught in this machinery of destruction. And, you know, to try and do, assign a petition, try and move to a plant-based diet, try and change our life, try and be aware of everything. So this heart, when I wrote this book, I didn't really feel like I wrote it. In fact, I was saying to my, my friend the other day, I don't even can't remember when I wrote it because I've been so busy. Where did I write this thing? I mean, I, I must have written it. It's got my name on it. <laughs> but <laughs> I didn't really feel like it was my book. It just felt like stuff that kind of came through to be said. So this is, I've been a devotee of Kuan Yin, and I, 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 I feel Kuan Yin as this deepest heart resident within all of us, this mysterious um, life force, as was said um, in, the, in the wonderful play just now, that, that life itself that eternally moves and shifts and shapeshifts and is always there and is profoundly benevolent. Those who set forth on this path should give birth to this thought. Whatever living beings there are in whatever realms, I shall work to free them. And though I free living beings, not a single being is liberated. And why not? No one can be a bodhisattva who creates the perception of a self, a living being, or of a lifespan, so says the Diamond Sutra. Still, If someone should lean toward you on a cold, forsaken night, inviting you to leave your castle wall, lean with her into your deepest hope, because the storm is coming. Do you feel the cry in your liquid heart rising on fire from the agony of the earth? I dream a wild forest of parrots and monkeys. Maybe one day we will return. Earth, dust, walkers, together through the tangle we stumble, 
to return wild shamanic power of the heart pure peace pulse. In quiet release from identification from the wired and fired off-sync brain merged with the machine, prajna intuitive intelligence of the deep rewires. She pours living truth into us and leads our way home. True heart home, soft heart home, fierce heart home, generous heart home, merciful heart home, swift protection heart, invincible courage heart, true refuge heart, destroyer of negativity heart, bliss and equanimity heart, remover of sorrow heart, transformer of poison heart, serene peace heart, distribution of wealth heart, impeccable virtue heart, joy and laughter heart, sublime, sublime intelligence heart, creative wisdom heart, worthy of honor heart, foundation and freedom heart, radiant health heart, ferocious compassion heart, all victorious heart, complete enlightenment heart, aware heart, present heart, Avalokiteshvara heart, Gate Gate, Paragate, this mantra is true and not false, mother of the Buddhas, matrix of creation, empty of all distinctions, your true heart hears all beings, their beginning and their end, your true heart is not the seer or the seen, and it is both, just this, Parasangate Bodhishvaha, Everything now means nothing except how much you reclaim your human that loves your life, your earth, your all other living beings and every flower pushing through concrete on your way to work. Because this is the moment you've waited for, the moment for wild prayer, flash mobs, for occupying the corners of fascist madness. Sit your ground, stake your truth, and should you be brave, then shout out to the far corners of the walls until the force of our sound demolishes every carefully positioned brick. It is like a great regal tree growing in the rocks and sand of barren wilderness. When the roots get water, the branches, leaves, flowers and fruits will all flourish. The regal tree of enlightenment growing in the wilderness of birth and death is the same. All living beings are its roots. All Buddhas and Bodhisattvas are its flowers and fruits. By serving all beings, by serving this great earth, by pouring the water of living, gentle and fierce compassion, together we will embody the flowers and fruits of our true awakening. And even when the realms of empty space are exhausted, the realms of living beings are exhausted, the karmas of living beings are exhausted and the afflictions of living beings are exhausted. We will still accord with this, our deepest heart, endlessly, continuously, in thought after thought, without cease, our body, speech and mind, never weary of this service. So says our true heart, Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasangate, Bodhi, Shwaha. Thank you.